Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I'm your host. I'm an intuitive human design reader, a certified professional coach, and an instigator of joy. And I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for listening. This week's conversation is with an old friend of mine who I recently reconnected with, and you'll hear the story of our reconnection in the episode. So you may have heard me I hope you've heard me say that I'm really passionate about helping people remember who they are because our souls picked out everything. They picked out all of our gifts that we're here to share with the world, basically picked out who we are and what we're here to do before we came to earth. Then we come to earth, we are born and we instantly start forgetting. We forget who we are. We become covered in shoulds and kind of play this, this earth school, this human game. And some of us put on masks and costumes and whatnot. And then at some point we start to remember who we are. Often with the host, the help of a coach or a therapist or, or a modality like human design. Isabel's story is about remembering who she is in a different way and the same way because human design has been a part of her story. Her audio cuts out and gets a little garbly at some point, stay with it, please. It's worth it. Your, your brain will adjust. <laughs> Isabel Moses is Director of Talent Development with Faith in Action National Network, the nation's largest multiracial, faith-based, grassroots community organizing network committed to racial and economic justice and building beloved communities. She's an experienced executive coach, facilitator, trainer, and consultant with two decades of experience working across the nonprofit for-profit, and government sectors. For the last 10 years, she's focused on partnering with visionary social justice leaders. She co-leads Faith in Action's Black Women's Caucus, which engages the nearly 70 Black women staff in the network through intentional community building and a leadership development. She holds a BS in Foreign Service and an MBA from Georgetown University, and she's a certified leadership coach. She's the board chair of Pro Inspire, a leadership development nonprofit and lives in Detroit. And in case you were wondering, and she gets into this a little bit in the episode, but I asked if foreign service was like prepping her for the CIA. It's not, it's being a diplomat. So there you have it. You guys, I hope this conversation brings joy and sparkle and reminders of who you are and who everyone else is and that uniqueness is amazing and all good stuff. I hope it gives you permission to go forth and be awesome. I love you. I'm so excited to do this with you. Yay, me too. I have no idea where we're going to go, but I guess we should explain where we came from. Sounds good. We last saw each other in 19... We... I don't know. <laughs> Maybe at a reunion? Six. No, because I've never been to a reunion. Wow, so it would have been high school graduation. Yeah. Which I don't have a strong memory of other than I was wearing a white dress. Same, we and carrying a red rose. Okay, I thought, I thought that was part of the memory, but it was a little foggy. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of years, let's not do the math, because that's wild, because yeah. neither of us are old enough to have finished high school that long ago. That doesn't <laughs> compute. True. So what have you been doing in all this time? Well, I have been on quite a journey since our days at Short Rosemary Hall. And um, 
And uh, it's taken me to uh, from Connecticut to Washington, D.C., where I went to college and grad school and uh, stayed for about 20 years doing, um, as, I like, as I now like to think about it, I have gone from corporate consulting to government consulting to nonprofit consulting to social justice consulting, specifically racial justice consulting. So firmly consider myself a member of the revolution and um, contributing to making sure that our world is one where everyone can thrive and and live their best lives and define that however they want. And, um, and I do that partly through the work I am doing at Faith in Action, which is the largest grassroots community organizing network in the country, faith-based, and, um, and also through coaching and consulting with racial justice and social justice visionaries, which are amazing people. Did you have any idea this is where you'd be when you were in high school? No clue. <laughs> Did you have an idea? I mean, you are a specific manifester. Did you have an idea of what you wanted to do? Well, actually, I think I wanted to go to Georgetown and be a diplomat. I always thought that the Foreign Service was my calling in life. And I have since found out that my paternal grandfather was actually a Foreign Service officer. And I did not know this for many, many, many years. And was a um, was actually in the World War II as a as a counterintelligence officer against the Nazi Germany because he had spoke German and Yiddish from working at a Jewish grocer in St. Louis when he was growing up and had all these amazing language abilities and ultimately got recruited into the military, ended up in this very, very specialized counterintelligence unit and then became a foreign service officer. And so it's, and he's actually the father of my biological father who I did not know. So I had very little, well, I did not know him until I became an adult, so I didn't have much relationship with my biological father until much later in life. So anyway, it's fascinating how it's sort of a nurture, nurture, nurture versus nature yeah. uh, kind of a story where I, I think I take a lot after him, having never met him, knowing very little about him. So. That's fascinating. Yeah. Also, it's interesting to me that in a way you are a diplomat like that word is kind of funny but it's just maybe that we needed your help more on on the home front rather than on foreign soil yeah maybe i mean i definitely grew up in a really white context as a black woman and it's taken me a long time to kind of own and celebrate my identity as a black woman i mean i i moved to detroit three years ago which is a huge part of that journey for me and um, Detroit is an incredible city with an amazing history and culture and celebration of blackness in all of its multitudes. I think the other thing I learned when I moved to Detroit is that there's not one way to be black. And sadly, I had to move here to really learn that. Um, that like black comes in every shade, every way of being. Like there isn't a way to do it <laughs> and do it in a way that feels authentic. Um, you just basically you just have to be yourself. And Detroiters are amazing bullshit detectors. If you're not being yourself. <laughs> everybody everybody will feel it and call you on it so figure out who you are really fast and be that so oh my god I love that that makes me want to go to Detroit you should come it's amazing here um okay wait so much so much there so what do you can you talk more about like growing up in this like idea of whiteness what does that mean so I grew up in San Francisco and, um, and in a 
in a wonderful family. My, my mom, and she married when I was two. So I was raised by my mom and later became my adopted father. And, um, and in a multicultural household, my mom's African-American. My dad is, I, I refer to him as my dad. He is Nigerian and, um, and he uh, emigrated to the U.S. in the 60s and uh, settled here, met my mom in the early 80s. And they um, had four kids. And um, in many ways, like my mom grew up in North Carolina, migrated to California. He grew up in Nigeria, migrated to California. And so they were really trying to create the opportunity for us to not have to struggle the way that they both did. And so um, had good jobs and my mom, and dad both ran nonprofit organizations and really civic oriented, really cared a lot about making sure we had the opportunity to get a great education. And so um, basically mortgaged their home like many times over for us to be able to go to private schools and sent me and my three siblings to schools in San Francisco um, that are essentially some of the best schools you can go to, you know, by certain standards. And we lived in a majority black neighborhood, went to school across town, Russian Hill, depending on which, which school. And, um, and actually in San Francisco, the school wasn't all white necessarily, but it was certainly teaching a way of being in the world that was informed by a very specific type of whiteness, which is sort of a waspy whiteness, I would say. And, um, and very, very, very old school. So we were expected to learn French from a very early, like starting in kindergarten. I, I, second grade and um, basically just become sort of perfect Hamlin girls and what's funny is when I started uh, taking French classes um, I learned that Isabel is spelled double L-E and actually changed the spelling of my name um, to the French spelling when I was in uh, between second and third grade. So if I actually go back and look at my second year class picture, it's Isabel with one L. And in my third grade class picture, it's Isabel double L-E. And I was like really headstrong. I was like, no, this isn't the way that it should be spelled anymore. And I now think in some ways that that was when I first sort of embraced this idea that if I adopted more European centric ways of being that like I would get more privileges. So it's like, I think- Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm with you. And I, I mean, I, so just to kind of fast forward, I later, you know, I've had people ask me out on dates because I met them over the phone and they were like, oh, your voice, and then meet them in person and they couldn't find me because they weren't expecting to find a black person or a job that I um, interviewed for over the phone. I was studying abroad in West Africa and applied for a job in San Francisco and I showed up. And they were like, wow, this is great. You've increased our diversity numbers. We weren't expecting you. <laughs> so it's, it's horrifying. I mean, it's actually horrifying. And, it's, and, and I cry for the younger version of myself who didn't know how to interpret those experiences other than, like, what do you mean you can't see me? Like, what do you mean um, we, you that's me? Also, oh, just like on the soul level, not being seen. Yeah. Somebody can't like quote unquote, can't see you. That's, that, that hurts. Yeah. That's not the right word. Yeah, it, it, it it does. And I think I realized too, that, um, 
you know, again, going to Georgetown, I, I had to sacrifice huge parts of myself in order to fit in. And I don't even think I realized I was doing it until much, much, much later in life when uh, eventually this, the cracks and this facade that I had built up started to crack. And um, it's almost like the version of me that was always there was like clamoring to be heard. And it was starting to like outgrow the shell and it, like my elbows got sharp and I became more um, prickly. I remember a boss saying like, you've changed, like what happened? Like you used to be so much more gentle and <laughs> needless to say, I don't work there anymore. But I, I just, I just, I learned that I had edges and I wanted to discover them. So. Oh, you grew into yourself. Yeah, definitely. That just like, I have this vision, as you say that, of like you taking up not your full aura and then you being like, oh my God, wait, there's more over here. There's more over here. And I stretch up too and down and like, oh, I can be big and shiny and like I can take up space as me. Is that at all what yeah, it felt like? Absolutely. And I, um, I feel so much more myself since I've learned how to take up more of my full space that I've always had access to and didn't know it. And I, I feel more of service to the purpose that I think I'm here for. Mm-hmm. So, which I'm still, you know, many years and still learning what that is exactly. But I think part of it is I can't, my journey of unlocking my own potential has been a great metaphor for supporting other people in their journeys. And I think I sort of stumbled into becoming a coach in part because I was like, wow, like every time I learn something new about myself, I like want to share it with people. <laughs> I'm like, wow, did you know that like you could become this whole other version of yourself? Like I can help you because I figured it out or at least I'm starting. I mean, I've made progress, right? Like, so it's like, I think it's just been this fun thing where it's like every time I learn something new and cool and exciting about what I can do for myself, I like want to share it with other people. And, um, and then I think, you know, you end up meeting these amazing people in different parts of their journey. And I think people have helped me and I've helped them. And it's this, like, we're all growing, learning, growing together. And it's, and it's like a virtuous circle when it's in its best. Mm. And as you know, I love doing that too, as I've been sharing little like insights from my own epiphanies from following my human design, I drop you little wisdom bombs. I'm like, you've got an open crown too. So maybe you've experienced something like this too. And I just saw it and just have to share. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fun. So fun. So however many years we're not counting anymore later, the universe, the universe is so sassy. So my husband was cleaning out his office and for some reason there was a binder of mine from a high school photography class. And I had like, a whole, there were a bunch of crappy photos. And then this one photo that was in focus that was of you. (laughs) So I took a picture with my iPhone and sent it to you and was just like, Hey, I just found this. I know. And I was like, random, like haven't heard from you in a minute, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yet, and that's the funny thing too, about social media. We've been like connected on social media for a few years, but it's not, that doesn't mean that we're like in contact all the time. Right. Um, yeah. And then boom, we're, 
we're playing human design together. Now we're making a podcast together. Uh, it's so fun. It's it so is. fun. And it does, it also reminds me of the quote, like, I don't know, when you're ready to learn something new, the, the, the teacher or the resource will show up. And, yes. um, and it's like, and I actually, so something that our conversations have really, the epiphany that I've had since we started chatting about human design was a little bit about the way that my empath gift shows up. So, um, so for me, I think the real um, that merged the human design is this idea of um, my energy often meshing with other people's energy in a way that I don't even consciously realize that I've adapted to whatever the energy of the other person is that will make them feel more comfortable. Like that's kind of my default orientation is like, how can I make this other person feel more comfortable? And without even knowing it, I can quickly adjust my energy to either erratic, softer, harder to sort of match whatever energy I'm receiving from somebody else. And it turns out that if you're trying to assimilate into a culture that's not yours, this is a really powerful gift to have, but it will also help you forget who you are. And mm -hmm. so, um, so I think it's sort of this gift that was really in service of me adapting to kind of a white dominant way of being in the world. And so over these last, I'd say last decade or so, and as I've really worked to unlearn a lot of those ways of being that aren't authentic to me, um, learning how to differentiate more my energy from other people's energy and, and have more choice over what type of energetic response I'm going to bring to a particular situation. I think this helped me have language for it. I'm, it's something I've been working on, but didn't necessarily have words for. Um, so that was super, super helpful. And I was even just talking to um, a colleague the other day about how like this language helps me sort of be more, even more conscious to it of like, oh, okay, I could match this person's energy, but I'm not going to, right? So yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's the permission. It's like the backup for me. It's the like, yeah. okay, I've got this like niggling feeling that this is the way I want to do it. But like society tells me I should do it this way. Or that's like the, all the shoulds and the pressure I'm feeling is I should do it this way. But like, oh, look, my human design chart agrees with the, the niggling feeling. So that's my permission slip. I'm going to use that and I'm going to follow that direction. Totally. Which yeah. is like, it's super brave every time, every time I do it. It's super scary, super brave. Yeah, yeah. And the consciousness is, I think, the big leap, right? Because like being able to be in choice is so much more powerful than just going with the flow. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. And I'm also thinking of you, um, taking up more, more space on like every level, spiritual, physical, emotional. Um, and, and in doing that, you step into your power to, to be at choice. Did you, and so you're, you're not as like blown around by the wind. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Totally. Totally. All right. Where are we going next? <laughs> you tell me, Kelsey. <laughs> um, you actually, you said something so brilliant before. All right. So I'm going to just tell everyone that you've got K26, which I think is the most amazing magical gate, which is that knowing, knowing what to say. And I've seen you since we've been chatting for the last like month or so, I've seen you just like say things so brilliantly and concisely and with such like confidence and wisdom. And you're like, well, that's what you were talking about. And I'm like, but I didn't say it like that. Like you just like, 
you just basically gave it a course title. Um, and so what you had said earlier, so I'm going to butcher this, but <laughs> basically you said like using human design to decondition and to decondition from like the, the constructs that we've grown up in, in every sense, including racial constructs, but you said it so much nicer. That's the gist. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think human design can be a tool for all of us to, um, think about the bodies that we live in having um i'm trying to think of the right way to say this so we talk a lot about the before we're born we all choose we choose the body we're going to live in we choose the family we choose a lot of different kinds of things right and in the context of america if you chose a white body or a black body you're signing up for a particular kind of experience however that's just a starting point that's not the answer right and so um, in some ways, I think being able to be in a white body and not, and not assume that that means that you're inherently more superior to anybody else is like part of the work. If you are born into a black body, learning to believe that you're not inferior to anybody else is part of the work. Um, so there's this quote from Adrienne Marie Brown, who's a writer, facilitator, author in Detroit, who's written amazing books, Merchant Strategy, Pleasure Activism. In a number of her workshops, and um, there's a quote floating around that says something like, "You know, people who are born into supremacy or into privilege have to work on unlearning supremacy, and people who are born into struggle have to work on claiming joy and liberation." Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes I I sit at the intersection of those two ideas, where there are ways in which I was born into privilege, and there are ways in which I was born into struggle, and um, and on any given day have to sort of wrestle with, with getting rid of the internalized supremacy that lives within me because that's in some ways what I was conditioned into over time and unlearning and learning to claim joy and liberation and freedom, even though I was born into a black body that I'm told by society is inferior in certain ways. So it's this, in some ways it's a daily struggle and it's like even a contradiction in the moment, right? <laughs> like what am I fighting in, within myself about? And, um, and yet at the same time, I think there's so much growth that comes through this process of unlearning and learning and learning and learning. And, um, and I think a lot of, a lot of community comes with it. I think it's, it's interesting. We're doing this the day before independence day. And as we all know, that's a fraught day in terms of, you know, black people not having freedom on July 4th, 1776. <laughs> and that was not a day of freedom for black people. And, um, and so, you know, I'm moving to Detroit, like really leaning into interdependence is more of a central frame. And this idea that like, actually no one can do anything alone. We need each other. We need community. We need um, people we can count on. I think COVID has really shown us too how necessary uh, relationships are and being able to support your neighbors, um, loved ones in all kinds of different ways, but, but like, we're not gonna get through this alone without a lot of heartache so yeah 2020 knows what it's doing <laughs> like like it threw us this pandemic to show us like to be like whoa slow down go home look at yourselves now look out keep like hold on to who you are know who you are now look out and support each other and then uh, by the way, it's time for revolution. 
and remember everything that you just learned, like who you are, support your neighbors, support your, like show up for each other. And um, I guess our school is challenging. We already know our school is challenging. <laughs> But I just think, like, what a gift if out of all of this horror that we have witnessed and grief and sadness, if out of if out of all of this comes a greater reverence for the earth, right? Like, we recognize now that we've been damaging our own for generations, and, like, we have to stop if we want to continue to be able to count on our grandchildren living here one day mm -hmm. and, um, and reverence for each other. Like, I think we all see the value of like healthcare and <laughs> reverence for, um, you know, basic income, right? Like mm -hmm. <laughs> with this idea that like, it's really hard to live without a job and we don't have great safety nets in this country. And I, I think a lot of the myths of the American dream have been laid bare. And this myth, I think, of the current administration that we don't need government has been laid bare. That's not true. We need a functioning government. And <laughs> so I just, you know, I mean, in the moments when it's possible to sort of live in the place of optimism and possibility, it's great to be able to say, wow, like, I, I can't, I can't, I can't properly cite the source, but somebody said something like, who knew COVID would be, um, the founder of the revolution of this year. And in many ways, it has, it has proven to be an incredible um, partner in the dismantling of a lot of unjust structures that have not served really anybody, even if people think they have been served by these structures. The way you just said that reminded me of my friend Patty Lennon channeled coronavirus. And it was like a female entity. It's like, I'm just trying to help people. And the way you just said that, yeah, she, she is helping us. That's actually like that feminine energy, that feminine fire rising to spur the revolution to, well, who knows what's next? I don't know what's next. Yeah. No, no idea. I, By the yeah. way, 2020 is also trying to teach us all of that. Like, stop <laughs> trying to predict your future. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Welcome to Earth. Don't you know you have no idea what's happening? Right. So true. So true. So Kelsey, like as you hear some of this and you think about your own story of being a white-bodied person in America, like I'm just curious, like how does how does how have you been kind of reflecting on that over these last months in oh. the context of the moment that we're in? Or before? I mean, whatever comes up for you. Yeah, that's a good question. Cause I feel like one of the things that struck me was like why it was like a why now why are why are people more people noticing this now you know this isn't new you guys um so the biggest shock was how new a lot of this information was to people it took me a really long time to understand that 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 was um an energy in this um as someone who appears to be white it's so it's weird. I was that kid that in first grade, I remember was the first time I was given the option to like during a standardized test, I had to choose like white, African-American, uh, Hispanic or other. And I chose other and I always chose other. And I always, my parents were like, okay. That's fascinating. So what did other mean to you? It meant you cannot put me in a box. 
and why I felt very strongly about like, first of all, who says I'm white? That was a weird thing for me. And this means that I felt like if, if I mark white, then you're not going to judge me in a negative way. But if I mark another box, then you're going to judge me in a negative way. And I don't like that. And I don't want you to judge other people in a negative way. So I'm going to choose other. And that's, <laughs> that's what I've been doing my whole life <laughs> feeling. That's like my, you know, six-year-old platform was like, <laughs> no, I will not choose any other bubble. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> See the six-year-old version of you being very defiant. Like. <laughs> it was. <laughs> but very quiet. Very quiet. Um, yeah, so there's like memories like that coming yeah, back. Yeah. No, I appreciate, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's been interesting. I've, I've felt called a little bit to support a lot of my white friends um, into more anti-racist work because I have a lot of white friends, a lot of people I love in my life. And the journey towards anti-racism is not the same as the, as the journey towards um, just being generally a good progressive liberal. So it's like the step beyond that, right? It's like there's being a, you know, card-carrying Democrat is one thing, but like really stepping into anti-racism is a whole other thing. And it's a, you know, it's a lifelong commitment in many ways. It's not like a thing you do for like a couple days and then like go back to doing something else, like you really have to sort of lean into the long-term commitment of it. And it changes you. I mean, I think when I learned that I wasn't really living in that fullness um, myself, like as a sort of high achieving black person who was often the only black person in a lot of spaces and, um, and was often sort of rewarded for being the black person that white people kind of get along with really well, like, which is soul crushing in retrospect that people, that I in some ways even internalized that that was like an okay thing to, to accept, right? Like that's not an okay thing to accept. And um, there should be space for any black person at any table, regardless of how they show up in the world. And, um, and because of how specifically they show up in the world, more importantly, right? Like we are all unique beings. Yes. And if we're not, living in fullness then that is, that is a sad sad thing so we um, need space for everyone to be living in their fullness to be living their unique gifts because right. we all need everyone else's unique gifts we Absolutely. are like this big puzzle and the puzzle doesn't work when people are not able to fill out their full piece yeah I, um, I think there's another, I'm like into quotes lately. So I think Martha Graham said, you know, you are unique. And if you do not sort of manifest your full uniqueness, then something in the universe will be lost. So uh, I'll have to go look it up exactly, but something along those lines. And I just, I, that's like one of those quotes that like I sometimes print out and carry around for a while. Cause it's like, yes, like remember to be unique. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know how your teenage self feels about this, but I want to give a whole lot of compassion to my teenage self who was like trying to figure everything out and trying to like figure out where she fit in and thought she needed to fit in, which like, no, I finally let that one go and know that I'm best as myself. But just wanted to send some love back uh, to the yeah, former version. I herself. actually don't. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I think I lost you there for a sec, but, um, I, um, 
I don't have a lot of memories of elementary school and high school. Like I blocked a lot of that stuff out, I think, in retrospect. Like I, I think one of my survival strategies was disassociation and that um, it was just sort of like go along to get along. I actually was looking at some old high school pictures the other day and most of what I remember is because I've been carrying around the same pictures for like 25 years. And so it's like that one time when we were at that one bonfire because I have a picture of it or that one time when we were at that one Halloween party because I have a picture of it. Like if I don't have a picture of it, like I don't really remember that it happened, um, which is kind of sad. So, but I, you know, you get through life the way you get through life by any means necessary. And for me, that looked a lot like um, just blocking out a big chunk of that whole experience in retrospect. So. You know, maybe it's because you disassociated. Maybe it's also because it's just not who you are right now and you've evolved so much from that person. Yeah, that could be true too. Um, and it's like, I just, I don't even really fully re- recognize the, myself in some of, in some of those <laughs> stories. It's like, who was that person? <laughs> but yeah. yeah. And then I'm like, oh, that person was like fumbling along, just yeah. like so scared to be seen, so uncomfortable figuring things out. Just, I just want to give her a big hug. For sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And I wish I could go back and give her human design. <laughs> Right. Yes. (laughs) Well, what would she have done with that information? Because I also think, you know, it's kind of funny sometimes how you get the information that you need when you're ready for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I don't know what I would have done with something like human design insight back then. I wouldn't have known what to do with it, probably. But maybe I'm underestimating my younger self. (laughs) Yeah, I think there are certain things that could have been really helpful. There are other things that I probably wasn't ready to hear yet. Mm -hmm. Like, Um, like knowing that I, and I can't remember if you have this gift as well, the gift of, I think you do healing my own emotions so I can help other people hear that he'll heal their emotions. Yes. Yes. We've talked about that. Yeah. As a teenager, I don't, I think I would have been terrified of that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like everything's so raw. Yeah. Like emotions (laughs) are everywhere. I don't know anything. (laughs) Um, but for instance, like learning about my open centers, that might be really helpful. But then at the same time, like with an open Ajna, like I'm not really here to share my opinions. And then being in a class when somebody asks you what you think, I would be like, um, I have an open Ajna. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that. I mean, you know, at the same time as we don't learn things until we're ready for them our sometimes our lack of knowledge protects us so we can fit in with the environment so we can be safe in the environment we're in right right that's true too yeah i i definitely i definitely resonate with that yeah what would you say to your younger self you can choose the age well, there's a couple things. I mean, I think one of the things was that like growing up with a story of abandonment was like a really strong undercurrent for a lot of my life. And again, I grew up in a, on the surface level, a nuclear family and had a wonderful father, mother, siblings. And I also had this other father who wasn't around. And, um, and I think that influenced a lot of my self-perception for a long time where I felt like, 
you know, there was this person out there who chose not to be around and therefore I didn't feel loved to like the fullest extent. And I think now, um, actually, I think I was telling you earlier how much I love kayaking because it's a way to feel sort of held by the earth and by the water. And this like, it almost feels like like, this like amazing embrace from the earth that like makes me feel like so loved. And I think I would just go back to my younger self and say, it doesn't matter that he wasn't around. Like you are loved, you know, and you were loved unconditionally. You were loved for who you are and your fullness. Like I think like a, a mantra that I'm, trying to stay in practice of repeating right now is like, I am whole, I am enough, I am loved, right? Like, <laughs> and that uh, nobody can take that away from me because those are things I was born with and I will die with, right? So my what friend Georgie, you- oh, go ahead. No, you go. No, okay. My friend Georgie uh, shared a few months ago, this song that she sings to her twins who I think they're five. It's I love you no matter what. And she goes through like, I love you when you're happy. I love you when you're sad. I love you when you're angry. I love you when you're confused. I love you. Like, and just Aww, like, I love you no sweet. matter what. And so to, to younger you and today you, I want you to know that I love you no matter what. Aw, thanks, Kelsey. What would you tell your younger self? I would probably tell her that you're the same. You're, you are loved. No, I would probably say I love you no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. And, and your all your imperfections and mm-hmm. goodness knows I've certainly learned many, many times over how to make a good mistake. <laughs> we all have. We are all <laughs> professionals in that regard. Uh, yeah. yeah. And you and I, well, you've got that three line. I've got the six line that was a three until my Saturn return, which means we learn through personal experience. It's all trial and error. Exactly. Right. And it's, it's funny too, how often, how often that, um, bears out, right? Like, um, but then there's also some things that stay consistent over time. I mean, it's, it is funny how I think, so when I, when I think about the work that I do now, a lot of it is related to organizational development, organizational culture, and, really thinking about how do we create workplaces that are sort of microcosms of the world that we want to live in, right? Like if we can't practice what we believe at work, then we're not probably going to be very great at replicating it in the world. So, um, and so many, and so many times I've worked with organizations where I felt like I couldn't stay for very long because I wasn't valued. I wasn't seen. Um, in fact, my spirit knows when it's time for me to leave a job because it'll start projecting images onto the wall. Like when I got to work at this one place, like I would start seeing images of myself with my arms cut off, like literally in a coffin. And it, it was like my spirit's way of saying like time to go. Like you're, we're dying here. Yes. Like we're literally dying here. That's really helpful. <laughs> you can't ignore that, can you? No. And then like after 2016, the election, this voice in my head was like, you do not need to stay here for the Trump administration. Like it is time for you to go. And this voice in my head just said, go, go to Detroit, go to Detroit. And I feel like I got here and Detroit is this amazing blend of like living a little bit. Sometimes it feels like I'm living in the future and living in the past at the same time. Um, How so? Well, it's like there's this incredible culture of Afrofuturism where um, 
where a lot of black creatives are actively imagining, like how do we create a post-capitalist, post-heteronormative, patriarchal like way of being in community with one another, where it's rooted in um, having sustainable access to farming. So tons of urban farms or sustainable economics where it's like barter system, like trading for um, like, I do Reiki, you do massage, let's trade. Or I, um, I grow, I have, I make tea. You do, um, I don't know, tinctures or something. Let's trade. So there's this incredible shared ecosystem of like all kinds of gifts and um, being able to play in that. And so that feels super futuristic because it's like, I feel like the world that we're trying to create is one where we're not dependent on kind of capitalist and patriarchal ways of being. And a lot of folks in Detroit are practicing that every day. And, um, and then sometimes it feels like the past because like, you know, two days ago, somebody's like bumps into somebody at a parking lot and all of a sudden is like pointing a gun at another person and like all hell's about to break loose. And it's like, that could have happened in the 1950s, right? Like, um, and I just, it's just bizarre. So I just, it's, it's a fascinating place to live and to be in this moment in time. And, um, and I, I feel really excited about Detroit actually like learning some lessons about like how to actually shift broader society that might be more broadly applicable, you know, once we make a little more progress and figure out mm. how to scale it locally before scaling it more broadly. So what are you trying, what does Detroit need to learn? What does Detroit need to learn? I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know that I'm the best equipped to answer that. Um, I would say Detroit's learning all the time. Um, what it needs to learn, I, I don't think I can answer that, but I think this process of learning is super, super, super rich and like unfolding constantly um, in all kinds of ways. I think the, um, you know, the, the protests against police brutality and police killings, um, I think what's fascinating is like really being led by the next generation, you know, not even millennials, but zennials in many cases. Like I am so inspired by kids these days. And I think, yeah, you shared that letter with me written by like, we figured out they're like 13 and 14 year olds. Oh yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I just, so I don't know what Detroit needs to learn, but I think we collectively need to learn that the youth have a lot more of the answers than we do and we need to listen to them. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and that like, there are, there's some real wisdom, I think, in folks who are coming up right now. And in some ways, like letting, not leaning into, well, I'm older, I, therefore I know is I think half of the battle. So, <laughs> you know, you're touching on a lot of things that, um, like you're talking about the barter society, talking about ditching that idea of age equals superiority, things that have always, like I've always dreamed of this barter society. And I've always, um, I used to say all the time, and I still do, I don't believe in age. Like it just doesn't compute for me. We were talking before we started recording that yeah. sometimes I, there are concepts that just don't resonate with me and I need like a translator. Age mm-hmm. is one of them. Someone okay. would say to me like, but I'm this age. And I'd be like, 
what does that have to do with anything? Right, I don't right. even understand. <laughs> um, so I just love that. It's, it makes me feel like, you know, it, it gives the younger version of me so much, again, permission to keep going. Mm-hmm. So like, this is what 10 year old me wanted. Mm-hmm. And she was told that it wasn't possible, that she had to live in this society that was based on capitalism that age was a thing even though she really didn't fall into that ever but um to be like look you just wait just wait a whole bunch of years and then the rest of the world is you're gonna find more people who who want to live the way you want to live it is possible yeah it's true i i agree and I, as somebody who doesn't have children, I sometimes lament that this, the lack of access to young people in my life to actually remind me of what it looks like through a five-year-old's eyes or a six-year-old's eyes or whatever age. And, um, and so, and actually right now I feel that loss even more because, you know, we can't even really be close to the loved ones we know who do have kids. And so, um, that is something I sometimes feel a little bit sad about, but on the other hand, I have, uh, my sister is about to have a baby and that's very exciting and she's bringing new life into the world in this very interesting time. I'm, I'm really excited to be one of the, like an auntie who, as somebody who doesn't have my own kids can just shower this child with love. Like mm-hmm. that's all you get is love. <laughs> you get no discipline for me. That's all from your parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does she Maybe with close love. to you? No, she's in Los Angeles. So, yeah, sadly. She'll get a lot of virtual love and know that physical space. Maybe she will grow up or she, the baby. Or the little boy. (laughs) Okay, maybe the little boy will grow up knowing and truly understanding that physical space doesn't separate energy. I hope so. And I also thinking about trying to get out to LA for a little while to provide some support. If that makes sense, we'll see. Yeah. So I think I've got one last question, but I I changed my man, my mind sometimes. Okay. So if it is my last question, it is, if you had a billboard that you could put up anywhere, what would it say? But wait, one caveat, everybody in the world can read this billboard. What would it say? Well, the first thing that came to mind which I'll just go with is black is beautiful. (laughs) I think we just need more messages to remind people who might be confused. So both black people and white people and any other color in between black is beautiful. I think we need to eradicate anti-blackness from everyone. Um, I think there were, you know, part of my story is about being anti-black to myself and, um, and that if I had had that message reinforced more when I was a kid, that might've made a big difference for me. Mm. So. This is really interesting for me to hear because when I saw that photo of you in that photography thing, I was like, yeah, one of the most beautiful people in our school. Oh, Kelsey, that's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so it just goes to show you we never really see ourselves the way other people see us. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, and when we grew up, it was much more in the kind of colorblind time. Mm-hmm. 
when everybody was supposed to just treat everybody the same, even though we knew that that wasn't actually how society really worked. So, yeah. um, but it, that narrative, unfortunately, you know, got interpreted for me in a lot of not helpful ways. So what did um, it mean to you? Well, I was describing how I went to private school across town. Um, you know, my parents mortgaged their homes and we were able to access scholarships because they certainly couldn't afford it otherwise. And, um, and as much as I love my parents, they did not do a lot of counter programming to remind us that like, despite the disparity and what we had versus what somebody else had, that we were still worthy and all those other things. And so, you know, I internalized the message of we live in a tiny house. My parents owned it, which was important, but I, and I don't, didn't totally appreciate that that meant that we were solidly middle class, but, but it was tiny and other people lived in these gigantic mansions. So like I grew up with this impression that we were poor when we weren't actually poor. And um, so I was able to do a lot of the calculus in my own head. Well, like they get to walk to school. I have to ride a bus for an hour. They have 10 bathrooms. We have like one and a half. Like they have a lot. We have very little. Like they're great. We're something less than great. And I just, I wish, I wish. And anyone out there who is like, I just grew up with this narrative of like not enoughness. Like it's not true, right? It's just fundamentally not true. And it took me a long time to unlearn not enoughness. And I just, so I would go back to my younger self and be like, you have everything that you need and you are loved and you are so lucky to have these experiences. And I'd also tell my parents to like, buy me more like revolutionary books when I was a kid so that I could read those too. And in addition to the romance novels that I developed a collection of. <laughs> Do you have any revolutionary books that you would definitely want them to buy you? Well, I think like, I think of the ones I have on my, on my bookshelf now, like, um, uh, books like by W.E.B. Du Bois or by, well, he was one I think that just helped explain some of what was going on or by uh, Ralph Ellison or by Audre Lorde. She's amazing, um, black uh, woman, poet, author, um, queer, um, has written incredible, incredible treatises that have stood the test of time. And um, Bell Hooks, I mean, there's just these amazing writers who I only started really learning about in the last 10 years. I wish I had discovered them earlier. Octavia Butler, black woman science fiction writer who actually wrote this, these books called Parables that I highly recommend. Um, they in some ways foreshadowed the time that we're in right now. Um, and so it's just uh, this wealth of resources that I had no exposure to because mm -hmm. that's not what was taught in school. So, yeah. Would you make your own school? now or in retrospect yeah, well i mean like for your younger self would you have created a totally different ex educational experience for yourself if i could go back mm -hmm. uh i think so i think i might have made some different choices or at the very least i would have had like a more robust after school curriculum that mm -hmm. was part of the programming so it's like well you go learn whatever you're going to learn there and then you have like two hours of additional homework at night for the stuff that you should be learning that you're not learning so um, and I think that's part of what a lot of schools today are realizing is that like a lot of black folks do not get taught black history in school and we're woefully undereducated about our own experiences. And, and there are some writers who've done an amazing job, but they are not super 
well known until you start really getting into um, specific spaces. So thankfully, I think this last 10 years, I've really made a huge effort to catch up, but, but it, at some cost of wishing I had just known it. And then there's this part of like, it's okay, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I can it's have, okay that you weren't I can born have knowing everything. for all of it, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Whenever you arrive, you've arrived. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Thank you for coming. You, you're welcome. We're Thank glad you're you here. Being here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we None also this, need to make, we need to make welcoming people into the revolution more inviting and more pleasurable. So <laughs> it's so true. You know, when you're training a dog, you're just naturally when the dog comes, even if the dog was off doing something that you didn't want them doing, and then they come, you celebrate them. You're not like, oh, you shouldn't have done that because the dog just came and you celebrate that they yeah. came. So yeah. when somebody arrives, you celebrate them yeah. because they're here and you want yeah. them to stay. That's right. This, this place is for you and for mm. you and for you and for you. It's for all of us. Yes. <laughs> yes. And we love you all no matter what. That's right. Is there anything else you want to say? Anything that I didn't ask you that we should have covered? Well, this has been fun. I feel like we've covered a lot of terrain and I, um, yeah, I, I feel like the universe knew what it was doing when it put us back in touch with each other after going on 20 something years, not that we're counting. And, <laughs> and it's just been a total delight. Thank you, Kelsey, for introducing me to human design, this whole new world. And I'm happy to be your anti-racist partner. So mm. let me know how I can support you. I am so grateful to have you as a partner. Um, is there anywhere that, do you want people to get in touch with you? Do you, is there anything yeah, you want to promote? Yeah, people can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm not super active on Instagram, but you can find me there. And it's <laughs> like what I say about LinkedIn. Uh, there's a page there. Don't send me a connection request because I won't ever see it. <laughs> Yeah, I feel free to find me. I'm happy to chat. Amazing. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. And that's it. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation with Isabel. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it brought some joy and some sparkle to your day and your life and beyond. And you know what I just realized? I don't think I've ever told you guys that I've got love notes that I wrote for each energy type and they are available through my website. Just go to kelseyabbott.com and sign up for my email list and you will get those personalized love notes delivered to your inbox. Um, also, if you would like a human design reading, an individual or a partner reading, or if you want to do this really cool upgrade, which is a human design reading plus a healing with my friend Tina Olson, who was on last week's episode, you can get it all at kelseyabbott.com slash human design, or just navigate your way to the work with me tab on my website. It's all there. You, my friends are amazing and wonderful. And the world needs you to be in your brilliance. The world needs you to share your own very unique gifts. Remember, there are 7.5 billion individual unique beings on this planet and we all come together by sharing our gifts. We all come together into one whole. And this is how we rise. Please 
go forth and be awesome. I love you.